Welcome to Churches Planting Churches, a podcast on the theology and practice of church planting. I'm your host, Tony Morita. In pastoral ministry, we can easily overemphasize knowledge, skill, gifting, confidence, charisma, and experience. If such things are true in pastoral ministry, then they're all the more true in church planting. As we train and assess church planters, it's easy for us to place an unhealthy emphasis on a person's so-called competence. Now, to be clear, these things aren't meaningless. They do have value. But far more valuable than gifting, knowledge, or experience is this, maturity. Christian maturity, that is, growing in Christ-likeness, is infinitely more valuable than how much one knows or how good one is at preaching or evangelism or pastoral ministry or anything else. In fact, the extent to which one is growing in maturity in Christ will fuel our ability to do these other important things in a God-honoring way. After all, Paul tells us that this is what the Christian life is all about, maturing into Christ. Uh, Just look at what he says at Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving so christian maturity is being rooted and established in jesus christ and this is what we aim for in our lives and in our churches therefore as we plant and lead churches we must be men who are marked by this kind of maturity after all we can't lead people into maturity in christ if we ourselves aren't maturing into christ so how does this work and what does this look like in church planting and in the life of a church planter I'm excited to have my friend Jeff Metters with me today on the podcast to discuss this stuff. Jeff is the pastor of preaching and theology at Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. He and his wife, Natalie, have two kids, and he's the author of a newly released book called Humble Calvinism. Jeff, it's great to have you on the podcast, man. Thanks, Tony. It's good to be here, man. Jeff and I uh, have interacted several times. It's been a pleasure to always to, to see him and hear what the Lord is doing uh, uh, at his church. Uh, Jeff and I both have done a bit of writing, and so we, we share that in common. He's a big NBA fan. Huge. Huge. Houston Rockets fan. Let's go. Um, is your guy going to get the MVP this year? You know, he ought to, um, but you never know. You just never know what's going to happen. I would agree with that assessment. Um, we want to talk about uh, one of these uh, competencies in Acts 29. So if you're tuning in with us, uh, we have a, in Acts 29 uh, 11 core competencies that we think mark uh, a church planter. Uh, so, uh, so things we really want to, to look at, consider as, as guys go through the assessment process. Uh, this one is pretty obvious, uh, like many of them actually, but maturity. Um, but as, as I mentioned, uh, it's often the thing that uh, is not emphasized uh, enough. You know, we, we tend to really push gifting or that's what people see right. or, um, or how hard they work or a, a number of other things that are really important. Um, but this this idea of, of, of maturing into Christ likeness is is so so foundational. So before we get into it, Jeff, why don't you just uh, give the audience a, a bit of a bio and tell us how you came to faith, how yeah. you got into ministry, why you're a Rockets fan? Oh man, what's most important? What should I start with? I'll start with I'll start with Christ. You know, sometimes Rockets fans really important to me. <laughs> so I I mean the first church I ever remember being a part of was Free Will Baptist Church, and you just you don't get your you know, theological views in the name that often. 
Um, <laughs> you can't you can't get more obvious than that. Um, and I remember one time somebody spray painted a Y on the sign, and so it said Free Willy Baptist Church. Uh, so I man, I grew up there, <laughs> and then we moved to a different part of Houston, and it was at that church that I became a believer. I was just at a children's camp. Um, I think that church was also Ar- Arminian too at the time, and just heard the gospel at the children's camp that sinners go to hell. And I realized, like, I'm a big sinner. I stole baseball cards last week with my cousin, and they fell out of my shorts, and my aunt busted me. And I knew he, I stole, I lied. Like, if there is a hell, that's where I'm headed. And so just the conviction of God came upon me in third or fourth grade, something like that. And then the simple gospel, look to Christ and you'll be saved. And so I prayed the sinner's prayer that night at the children's camp, like, you know, maybe so many of us have in America. And um, I prayed it again the next night, too, because they offered it again. And then I prayed it again the next year because, you know, I was at camp again. So I prayed the sinner's prayer, quote unquote, I don't know how many times. And then in high school, you start wondering, am I saved? I'm, I'm not growing. I don't feel like I'm doubting. Then the, the pastor we had at the time, we had a new pastor. And he said, you know, has anyone ever looked at their birth certificate to see if they're alive? No, you look at your life. Like you, you can tell I'm alive. I said so. Look for fruit now. I said, do you love Christ? Yes. Reading the Bible. Yes, I want to follow Jesus. Um, so that was a big, a big moment for me in his office that day. That I don't need to place assurance of faith on a prayer, con- a conversion moment, but on fruit now. Um, and then that's when I heard at that church was the doctrines of grace uh, that God loved me before the foundation of the world. This porn-addicted, high school, pimple-faced loser that I was, um, that Jesus loved, that he was the first person to ever love me. That really did change my life. And that's when I wanted to get into ministry, just to tell people about God's love, that Jesus is so amazing, and he loves you, and you should follow him, that he's worth it. Praise God. How did you meet your wife? We met at a open mic night at a college ministry. So I, I came, I used to play guitar like every Southern Baptist-ish kid. Who, you know, you want to, you got to play guitar. You got to play Shane and Shane. I mean, <laughs> if you're not playing Shane and Shane, are you saved? Um, so I go to this, you know, a coffee shop and I see her and she's wearing the sweater, yellow and white striped sweater. And I told my buddy that was with me, I said, you see her? He's like, of course I see her. I said, I'm going to marry her. He said, wow. no, you're not. <laughs> I said, you watch. She was dating a secret service agent at the time. Um, so of course, you know, I had a car that I had to hot wire to start, you know, I had to touch two wires together and then let go really quick and start my car. They broke up. I moved in. Here we are 12 years later, two kids. Yeah. Do you remember what Shane and Shane songs you were, you were singing at that time? Oh man, you got Psalm 145. You got to do that. Uh, one of my friends, our executive pastor and worship leader, he can hit the high notes. I can hit the low notes. Uh, I couldn't anymore. I'm, I'm horrible now, but yeah, all the old stuff. So the first time I asked Kimberly to, to go anywhere with me before we were married, we were serving on a camp staff together, and we had uh, like an hour break in between um, worship and our, our late night event. And so the staff would usually go to Starbucks, and so but I wanted to go just with her. So I said, "We you, uh, can I take you to Starbucks?" That was kind of like our first little date. But it was Shane and Shane, Psalm 145 in my tape deck, hmm. um, and that's pretty much the only the only uh, tape I had in the car. I listened to Shane and Shane <laughs> yeah. for ten weeks. Uh, I loved and still love that particular uh, Psalms CD, yeah. man. Yeah. yeah, it was that it was that song that made me see the Bible really is amazing. Mm. I, I'd never heard so. This is a really funny story. 
real quick. The first Christian camp I ever went to was a thing was called Cross Camp, and it was in South Padre Island. The people doing the worship that week, the music, Shane and Shane, this camp speaker, Matt Chandler. Never heard of him before, never heard of them before. Heard them there. God changed my life that mm-hmm. week too. Mm-hmm. Like that was kind of a awakening, a renaissance around the gospel and enjoyment. And mm-hmm. here we are now. Mm-hmm. Honored to serve along and with Matt as our president. And mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. Amen. So what we're saying is if you're a single guy, you may want to get some Shane and Shane. Uh, so you may, you may take us up on that. That's right. Um, hey, let's, let's uh, think about maturity uh, according to the Bible. Uh, let's start there. What texts come to your mind as, as we're thinking about uh, this, this subject? Yeah, so a few, a few kind of lanes of, of passages come to my mind. One's about ministry um, as our goal, and we'll talk more about it later, but in Colossians, Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Mm-hmm. That's a huge passage, I think, for our goals in church planting. Mm-hmm. Our goal is not to plant services, but to see people be matured in Christ. Yeah. Uh, but then Ephesians 4, when, I mean, we know the passages that get into church life, and he's talking about equipping the body, and where Paul says in Ephesians 4 that he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, teachers. Mm-hmm. So we know we're talking about church. Equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, and this is it, growing into maturity. Mm-hmm. So it's a growing process that that the Lord takes us on. It's not. I don't think any of us ever reach full-on maturity mm-hmm. because we'll never be fully conformed into the image of Christ until our glorified, resurrected bodies, but we're growing into or headed that way mm-hmm. with a stature, Paul says, measured by Christ's fullness. Mm. I love that. That we're So Christ is the picture of maturity. Right. Um, not you, not me, mm-hmm. not Chandler, mm-hmm. not John Piper, mm-hmm. not Charles Spurgeon. Mm-hmm. Um, none of our heroes, mm-hmm. we should imitate them as they imitate Christ, as, mm-hmm. as Paul says in Hebrews 13, imitate your leaders. But Christ is that stature, that fullness that is measured by. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the Colossians 1. That's one of my favorite passages to talk about preaching, talk about ministry, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. Uh, a couple of thoughts uh, on those those verses uh, related to this subject. I love how Paul is, first of all, so Christ-centered yeah. in this text, like his his subject is a person, like he's he's proclaiming Christ. Um, but then it's just striking how comprehensive this Christ-centered ministry is, um, in that it's for everyone. Right. Like the the everyone's just jump out of that yeah. that verse. Like uh, who needs Christ-centered preaching and who needs Christ-centered ministry? Everyone. Everyone. Um, but it's also you know comprehensive in its in its um, uh, the way the ways in which we we commend Christ it it sometimes involves warning sometimes mm. it involves uh teaching you know sometimes it's heraldic sometimes it's like a sage a pastor applying wisdom um and so the 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 subject of our ministry subject of our teaching and our preaching is Christ and it's not just for you know tipping people into the kingdom right but as the text says here the the purpose clause that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And I think that's that's been what the gospel-centered movement has recovered for yeah. us is that um, the same gospel that, that brings us to faith is the same gospel that uh, also sanctifies yes. us, as, as Paul elaborates later in the text that I opened up with, that just as we've received him, you know, yeah, we walk, walk in him. him. We don't do anything else. Yeah. We just keep deepening 
uh, our affections uh, for the Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's vitally important as we think about uh, maturity, as we think about leading people into maturity, um, to to make sure everything we're doing uh, is revolving around uh, the centrality of Jesus Christ. That's right. right? Uh, talk to us about the importance of of kind of Christ centeredness. Um, things you're trying to do, uh, phrases that you use at your church right. to just emphasize this. Yeah, I'm, I'm so struck by Romans in, in this, in the bookends of Romans. So Romans 1 opens with, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for the power of God and salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek, the Gentile. So then that's how it opens. And then it ends with, in Romans 16, 25, um, according to him who strengthens us through the preaching of, of the gospel through the preaching of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So the gospel is the bookends of the book of Romans that we're strengthened by gospel preaching. Mm-hmm. We're strengthened by, by Christ, not just by doctrine. Mm-hmm. And so that's one thing we try to talk about all the time mm-hmm. is that the Bible is not just a book that you need to know. The Bible is not just a collection of verses mm-hmm. and like kind of just static theology. Mm-hmm. The Bible's pointing you to Jesus yeah. and we need to know him. And so we want to talk about Jesus all the time. Um, Jesus is more important than anything else we could talk about. Um, as Paul talks about in Ephesians, that, that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Yeah. So that there's something that we should know that's better than knowing everything else. Mm-hmm. And that it's Christ himself and, and his love. So he should be in every sermon. Mm-hmm. He should be the center of every sermon. He shouldn't just be the hat tip, mm-hmm. the afterthought of the sermon, mm-hmm. kind of the rabbit out of the hat, clo- curtain call. Oh, and by the way, mm-hmm. Uh, no, but he needs to be the ground floor. He needs to be the superstructure. Mm-hmm. He needs to be the neon sign. He needs to be the pinnacle of the sermon because mm-hmm. uh, everything in the Bible is about Jesus, and that, mm-hmm. that's how we need to talk. Yeah, and I, in the Colossians text, what's also encouraging is, is that Jesus is not only the subject, uh, but he's also the source of power mm-hmm. by which we do this preaching. Like we, we toil with all his energy. Yeah. And this, this work of maturing people is hard work. It's toil. It's struggle. Right. Uh, but we're not doing it uh, in our own strength. So uh, Christ-centered preaching is is not just homiletically, you know, getting your sermon Christ-centered, but it's also you yourself as the preacher relying on yes. Christ in the moment by the power of the Spirit. Um, you you are enjoying that union with Christ that you yeah. have, and your communion with Christ supercharges you, if you yes. will, uh, empowering you to do it. And so uh, he's, he's the source of power. He is the subject. Um, and so we want to keep that focus as we as we uh, preach Christ and, and be reminded of that. And I think the the uh, the reliance on Christ is what will also give our ministries and our, our preaching um, a, um, a not not just uh, the the topic get the topic right. It's Jesus, Him we proclaim. But there there is also um, this subtext in a sermon, right? That people just sort of pick up on. Mm-hmm. During the course of your sermon, and right. many things can be a subtext, right? Like, yep. like uh, I'm I'm incredible. I'm a, look look how what a great preacher I am. Mm-hmm. That you, that can be perceived, though you never say that. Or yeah. look how awesome our church is. There are a number of subtexts that can come across in a guy's ministry and a guy's preaching. But when your heart personally is uh, uh, inflamed by the the wonder of Christ, the beauty of Christ, he becomes not only that which you're saying verbally. But there's an aroma yeah. of Christ that's present. The whole thing is saturated with the with the beauty of Jesus, and so um, just an encouragement, you know, that we we um, not just preach Christ-centered sermons, but that we have a Christ-centered heart yeah. uh, in which we're doing it. Yeah, he'd be the aroma 
of our sermons. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's, I don't know if it was DA Carson or, or someone that talks about it, but that people, they know what you say, they're hearing it, but they know what you get excited about. Yes. And yeah. discipleship is also taught, but oftentimes it's caught. Yes. yes. And some of the churches I grew up in and you just can catch the vibe yeah. and it's part of the culture. Mm-hmm. And I knew for me is like, I thought growing up, if you weren't Southern Baptist, then you were weird. You weren't to be trusted. Like, why wouldn't you be Southern Baptist or why wouldn't you be whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, we can get in that lane too. And that's something as X 29 church planners, we have to be careful of mm-hmm. is to not let anyone believe or think that, Oh, unless you're X 29, you're not really mature. Mm-hmm. Or that church is, is like, they're weird. And so we should actively, like, I think mature X 29 churches are actively praying for other churches, mm-hmm. uh, praying that they would grow into fullness and maturity with Christ, praying for our church mm-hmm. uh, to really show that, Maturity is seeking to build bridges and not just always burn them and tear one another down. That's good. I want to come back to that on like some character, uh, character qualities of maturity. Uh, just one related thought as, as we're talking here. I'm just mindful of, of Paul's prayers on, uh, I think you, you on the subject of, of maturity, you learn a lot by just seeing what Paul prayed for, mm-hmm. for believers, um, by, by what we ought to be emphasizing as well in our ministries. And one of the things that is uh, really striking about the prayer, say, in Ephesians 1, um, Ephesians 3, Colossians 1, is how he prays that the believers would know Christ yeah. more. And then you've got the Philippians 3 text where that's what he wants is to know him more. You know, in Ephesians 1, it's that you may know the hope to which you've been called. And uh, you've already referenced Ephesians 3 of knowing this, experiencing this Christ. Yeah. And in Colossians 1, that, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, right. growing in the knowledge of God. And um, it's it's like this is central. You know, I, I think it was Keller somewhere along the way said, um, knowing knowing Christ is like the, the, the thread that unravels the knot of your life. That it's basically, yeah. if you find that one, like everything else is almost or is symptomatic of a weak knowledge of God. Um, and once you can get there, then it's amazing what will happen. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, says that uh, once you realize that your main business in life is knowing God, most of your problems fall into place. Mm. Um, and so as we're talking about maturity, we're just we're starting here on this subject of, of that which is central. Uh, uh, Christ is central in our ministry and our proclamation uh, and knowing him is, is what we want to really press people into. And we never get beyond that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not like sometimes we can equate, equate maturity with knowing doctrine mm-hmm. and knowing stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we go, man, that guy's mature. Like I got hired as a college minister because I knew stuff. Mm-hmm. I should not have been hired, but God used it. Um, you know, I was not in any place to be working in a church at all. But it was because I knew theology, I yeah. could cite verses, yeah. you know, I could remember remember things, but I was not mature. Yeah. So maturity is not just knowing stuff. It it is Christ likeness. Yeah. You know, Tripp's book, A Dangerous Calling, he has some really, you know, jolting stories in the beginning about seminary students who were really intelligent, right, straight A's or whatever, and were doing some really dark stuff. And uh, somewhere in Dangerous Calling, he says that spiritual maturity is not about what you know, it's about how you live. Mm-hmm. I just think that's so important that, that we realize that yeah. um, you're not necessarily more mature because you have a degree um, or that you, you can recite the Heidelberg Catechism. Yeah. Like it's about putting that truth to work in life, right? Right. Yeah. The Pharisees were experts in the law. <laughs> yeah. We can be experts in systematic theology. Yeah. We can be experts in 
diagnose, you know, diagnosing what's going on in the culture and addressing it with relevant, you know, prepositions from Pauline epistles. Mm -hmm. But if we're not mature mm -hmm. in, at home mm -hmm. um, with our children, mm -hmm. with the loss, mm -hmm. um, with inter with interacting with with other people, um, then we don't we don't really know what maturity is. Yeah, yeah, it's good, man. It's good. So let's talk about um, some character traits of, yeah. of of the person who is. Uh, has their affections kindled for Christ, centered on knowing Him, uh, the fruit of that. Um, I know in Acts 29, we've, we've, uh, we, we're trying to grow up and mature in some areas. Uh, we had a certain reputation, I think, uh, for a season, yeah. and, and rightly so. It labeled you know as arrogant and uh, immature, adolescent, and so on. Um, we're seeing a lot of diversity now in Acts 29, uh, over 700 churches, 30 countries. Uh, we're diverse in, in age now. And, and so um, I think there's a level of, of maturity that, that, you know, we're grateful for those in leadership in Acts 29 that's, that's helped uh, grow us, not just numerically, but really uh, focus on particular virtues that, mm. that we, want, we want to be marked by, uh, that we want to grow into. So um, talk to us a little bit about some of the characteristics um, uh, that that you look for, that you want to see cultivated in uh, particularly aspiring planters, but just you can start people in general yeah. that you're shepherding. But um, what what are some of those key key virtues? I think it does. I'll come back to Christ. So, what are the attributes of the Lord Jesus Himself? Mm -hmm. um, obviously, He He's fully God, mm -hmm. fully man, and so the God like the and the non-communicable, incommunicable attributes of Jesus, yeah, those are not for us to try to imitate. But his kindness, his his love, his mercy, his meekness, um, these are all part of his maturity, because um, he is the full-on mature man. Um, he is the he's the goal. He's it. And so, if we've been crucified with him, we're going to live with him. Uh, we've I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So that should be billowing out of us, the fruits of the Spirit. And it can be so, um, we, we know the fruits of the Spirit, we talk about them, we have songs, it's not a coconut, like all, all that kind of stuff that we teach kids. But we should never let familiarity with a passage breed apathy. And like, oh, I already know that. Like, no, love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are marks of a life filled with the spirit mm -hmm. and the spirit's going to show us how to walk with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so I always think about the fruits of the spirit, um, not just what's what books are on their shelves, mm -hmm. but what's being produced in their, in their life. Yeah. It's interesting too. When you look at uh, some of these, these lists, these virtue lists in the new Testament, and there are a number of them, um, the, the kinds of things that Paul notes, uh, they just aren't popular subjects. You don't have a conference, for example, on gentleness. No. <laughs> no. Um, I, has anyone written a book recently that I'm sure there may be somewhere around the world, yeah. but um, the, the, the kinds of things we, we tend to really push and emphasize sometimes um, uh, that we, we seem to overlook or neglect right. some of these key, key virtues. And that, that's essential for a pastor that you're, you're known for gentleness and not, yeah. that's, and not anger yeah. and not violence. Yeah. I love, I love when Paul tells Timothy, obviously he was younger. We know that. And, he tells him, don't let anyone look down on you for your youthfulness, for your be for being young, for not being mature in their eyes, according to the world, chronologically. Mm -hmm. 
But Paul says, I'm not really concerned about chronological Mm -hmm. maturity. Mm -hmm. And when he says, don't let them look down on you, he's not saying, correct them, tell them, you can't look down on me. Mm -hmm. But he says, set an example. Exactly. So that's the, I think one stage of a mature person, like they're imitation worthy. Absolutely. Yeah. People will be less likely to despise your youth if they admire your example. Yeah. Your speech, Mm -hmm. your faith, your conduct, your love, and your your purity. Yeah. That that list there is, is like... Do the opposite of what your flesh wants to do. (laughs) Yeah, just like Costanza in Seinfeld. He realizes, I should be doing the opposite of everything I feel like I should do. And he does, and his life life turns around. You know, it starts working for him. We've worked Seinfeld into maturity. I don't don't know how this podcast is going to... If we can get an office reference in here, then we'll be on all cylinders. Uh, I mean, this is so important practically because um, the tendency in churches is you put someone in leadership... Um, that has the abilities. Right. I think that's the default mode. That's what we're used to in, in like the corporate world. If if the guy can perform, yeah. the girl can perform, then they're they're put in this position. But ministry is so different than than some of these models, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because I think about it with with uh, like singers, for example, in churches. That is this is this individual mature? They're definitely gifted, and I'm not saying they shouldn't play music or anything like that, but um, it's it when your ability surpasses your maturity, and that that is uh, very common, especially in in younger believers. Um, man, it it can it's a it's a dangerous thing. Uh, it it uh, you, you don't want that. You, it, you're yeah. a walking disaster zone. Yeah, Paul it, warns about the snares and the snares of the devil. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. why a new believer, a new convert, shouldn't be an elder too quickly. Mm-hmm. Or help being snared by the devil, and that can happen. Mm-hmm. We've seen it happen. So I just think it's imperative that we 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 um, prioritize maturity when, yeah. when it comes to um, leadership roles and things like that in the ministry. One of the things uh, that I've also um, really appreciated from from Keller in talking about this subject is uh, he has a place where he talks about how godliness makes up for your deficiencies in ministry. That you know you. Mm. You, you first of all pursue godliness but for the glory of God. But there is a there's a benefit also, a ministry benefit in being godly. Right, yes. And, and that is um, if you're not a great preacher but you're godly, man, people will listen to you. Yeah. And some of our greatest preachers are probably not great orators or the most impactful. Right. But we just, they, we, you know they walk with God. And if you're not a great leader and you know, organizational leader or whatever, but you're godly, people will trust you. Yeah. You know, uh, less likely to to be critical and those types of things. So I just think it's, it's really important because not everybody has equal gifting. Um, and you, and God is the one who's sovereignly distributed these gifts and the degree of gifts in which we have. But what we, we do want to take responsibility for is godliness and maturity. Uh, and we don't just passively do that, right? We, uh, as Paul says, one Timothy four, that we're train ourselves for godliness. Mm -hmm. Um, so what are some of the disciplines, uh, that you would just encourage, um, think about especially younger aspiring pastors, planters right now. Yeah. Um, what kinds of, of daily rhythms, disciplines would you say, man, you, if you're going to grow in godliness, you need to be doing these things? Yeah, I mean, I go back to that passage. Let no one look down on you for your youthfulness, but set an example in your speech. So the kind, the way you talk, what you talk about and how you talk is significant to the Lord Jesus. Um, your conduct not just how you act in church, how you act to the barista who got your order wrong, mm. how you act with your children, how you act with that core group member who's really getting on your nerves, um, speech, conduct, your faith. 
mm-hmm. um, your devotion to the Lord Jesus himself, what you believe about the Lord Jesus, how you walk with him, how you read your Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should read your Bible as a disciple, not as a church planner. Mm-hmm. Like You are a disciple first, mm-hmm. and you won't be a church planner in heaven. You won't be a church planner in the kingdom, in the eternal kingdom. Mm-hmm. You are a disciple of the risen Christ, and that's way more important than anything we do in Acts 29. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think of the, another passage, 2 Timothy 2. He says, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also those of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable honorable use. So if anyone purifies himself, this is really significant, purify yourself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument set apart, useful to the master. Mm-hmm. So we know in our gospel-centered world, we're, we're justified in Christ. We're declared righteous in Christ. There's nothing I can do to get myself closer to the throne. There's nothing I can do to get a better standing before our Father. Mm-hmm. But in this life, in this ministry, there are things that we do that make us not useful to the Master. Mm-hmm. We're, we're His Son. Mm-hmm. We're saved. Mm-hmm. But we could be in a situation in life. We could be at a station in life where... The Lord just looks at us and says, you know, I, I'm not going to use that. I'm not going to use you right now. Mm-hmm. So you got to purify yourself of these things mm-hmm. so we could be prepared for every good work. And then Paul gives a list of things. First one, flee youthful passions. Mm-hmm. Don't act like a teenager. Right. Don't act like a frat kid. Mm-hmm. Pursue godliness. Mm-hmm. Pursue righteousness, mm-hmm. faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Reject foolish and ignorant disputes. Because you know they breed quarrels. Don't argue belligerently about theology, about Calvinism, about God's sovereignty, about speaking in tongues, about ministry methods. Mm-hmm. Um, we should have those discussions, mm-hmm. but they shouldn't be uh, with, with foam in, in the edges of our mouths. Mm-hmm. The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so on and on we can go. So I think all, what is dishonoring to the Lord? And let's purify ourselves. Repent. Mm-hmm. When Luther said the Christian life, when... Luther said that when Jesus said the Christian life is one of repentance, mm-hmm. he means every day every is day. one of repentance. You mentioned Calvinism. Let's end here. Uh, yeah. You've just written a book called Humble Calvinism, which uh, fits right into this conversation, uh, growing in, in humility, right. um, growing in our, our knowledge of Christ uh, in his word. How, why did you write it? When Tell us what, what it's about. Oh, I wanted to get into fiction writing. And so this is my first foray into a mythological creatures and writing fiction novel stories but no i mean obviously calvinism there's a history of calvinists being cranky and being arrogant and splitting people up being divisive it's unacceptable Um, it's not right for us to just know the five points and then to be a jerk Mm -hmm. we misunderstand calvinism if it doesn't humble us Mm -hmm. before the lord which we know like yeah it just makes me think god's so amazing yes but the second part of what Jesus says is the greatest commandment is to then love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. So it should humble us before the Lord and before one another. If God's grace doesn't disarm us, but it's arming us, then we haven't understood it. So I, I wanted to see how the doctrines of grace, when understood both in the mind and in the heart, when God's mercy has really crash landed in there, it should change the way we live. Absolutely. Um, it should change the way we do ministry. It should change the way we view um, social justice change the way we view the problems of racism in in our world should change the way we learn each other's names in the local church like if we believe you know limited atonement particular redemption definite atonement if we believe that there is a book in the heavenly places 
with the names of those who would be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. If we know that there's a book filled with names, we could at least try to learn each other's names in our local church and not just say, hey, brother. Mm-hmm. Hey, man. Hey, big guy. Uh, hey, hey, sister. How are you? Hey. But actually, Tony, mm-hmm. Bill, Jill, mm-hmm. like actually learn each other's names. They matter to Jesus. Our names are graven on his hand. Mm-hmm. They should be also on our minds. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to explore how Calvinism humbles us, um, how it connects to Christ, because mm-hmm. um, I think the proof text of Calvinism do prove something, mm-hmm. and they show us the, the love of Jesus of Nazareth. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned uh, learning names. I, I think one of the ways that we do this, um, I've really experienced this in recent days, is by praying for people. Mm. It's amazing how you can remember people's names when you pray for them. Uh, and that is uh, obviously at the heart of growing in maturity is cultivating a vibrant prayer life. Uh, and so I just want to uh, encourage and uh, exhort all of us to uh, be doing that, to to see in the Apostle Paul, one who was not just really good at theology, but one who uh, can barely go a chapter yeah. or two, it seems, without bursting into a doxology or a prayer. Right. You know, it's good. And uh, so we, we want his, his his missional lifestyle, but we also want his heart. And uh, we're following him as he followed Christ, who yeah. who Amen. was the 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 teacher par excellence and the uh, the missionary par excellence yeah. and the one who communed with the Father right. all the time. And so maturity is about growing up into Christ-likeness. Uh, Jeff, thanks for being on the podcast. Tell uh, listeners where they can get your book and maybe how they can follow you. Yeah, you can get it on Amazon. Um, you can get it at WTS Books, Westminster's Theological Seminary. Their bookstore It's a great place to buy books. Um, CBD, ChristianBook.com. But yeah, Amazon's, Amazon's the big place where you can get it there. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter. That's where I'm most active at, just at Mr. Metters, M-R-M-E-D-D-E-R-S. But then I write at my blog, uh, jametters.com, and you can find me at the Gospel Coalition and Desiring God and the Acts 29 channel too at the Gospel Coalition. Excellent. Thanks, brother. Thanks, Tony.